Hello and welcome to The Debrief Live. I'm Angus Scott. We have a podcast that is overflowing with topics and guests this week. Our transfer guru, Fabrizio Romano, has the latest on Manchester United's hunt for a centre-back. How the Premier League's top six may halt Newcastle's rise. And where will Spurs turn for reinforcements as their number of injuries climb? Also, we've travelled to Sweden to get an exclusive interview with Tottenham's uh, Dejan Kulusevski. We've taken him back to where it all started, to the club that's as difficult to pronounce as an Icelandic volcano. But our main focus today is on something that has become varsical in the Premier League. You can insert as many jokes as you want, but none of them is funny or indeed original anymore. And nor is the VAR system itself funny, that is. We are asking, why is VAR so VAR from perfect? And what's next for the troubled technology? My right-hand man, Ben Jacobs, has just woken up from his jet-lagged slumber in Miami ahead of his latest Soccer X conference. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning. It's too early here in Miami for all of those puns in the space of, space of the opening two minutes of the show. <laughs> It takes me hours to write them, of course. Uh, but if we are talking VAR, we need to talk to officials, people who understand the game, the technology, and certainly have a view on where it's going right or wrong. So we go stateside again and welcome back to the debrief FIFA referee, Christina Uncle. Christina, I think you are based in Florida as well, so you're not very far from Ben. I'm not far from Ben. I'm going to say, Ben, it's not that early. It's almost nine o'clock local time, but I'll give it to you because I know you just traveled in. He did just, uh, yeah, just stepped off a flight. Uh, and also with us today is the former Premier League and FIFA referee, Mark Halsey, a man with plenty of opinions about the current state of the refereeing scene. And Mark, no longer in the UK, just taking early retirement out in Spain. That's it, southern Spain. The, the sun is shining on the Olio de Costa, guys, and uh, it's absolutely glorious here today. Well, sorry to drag you inside to talk to us, but <laughs> we have a very important topic to talk about. I, let's come to you, Mark, first. In your opinion, what is wrong with VAR? Uh, listen, I think, you know, it's been in the Premier League now for four to five seasons. Um, the IFAB protocol was in place. Um, and I think it needs now a total reform because it's not been changed in in four to five years. Now, I think if we go back to it in its early early days in the Premier League, um, the, the PGMML were not following the protocol laid down by by IFAB, whereas VAR were making the on-field decisions when there when there was a a, a, a review. Um, the, the VAR were making the decisions, whether it was a penalty, not a penalty, was it a send-off, was it not a send-off? Now, we know in the protocol, the referees have to make that decision. They have to, the VAR has to recommend a review for the referee to go and make that final decision. So it all started going wrong there for me in, in, in the UK. That never happened around the world, never. I mean, my good friend Peter brought it, brought the, the VAR into the MLS. Peter Walton, that is. Yeah, Peter Walton, yeah. Um, and he had done a very good job. Now, I think as well, I think the training education has got to be better. I think at present, there's far, I mean, obviously, I don't know if the guys see a lot of, watch, watch a lot of the Premier League in, in, in Florida. I imagine they do. I think at present, there's far too many inconsistencies with recognition of, of, of challenges, handballs, 
when to come in, when not to come in. I think there's 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 a lack of confidence, and that comes with the training, education, the leadership, and direction of of what's going on now. And and I and I think that also with that brings that the, the guys don't know when to come in and they don't know when not to come in. And also, I think we've got a massive problem, not just not just in in the in the Premier League. I think around the world with 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 handball, you know, it has to be a deliberate act. The the arms have to be in a, a natural or unnatural, and they've got to decide. Now, for me, I don't think the current referees in the Premier League know what natural and unnatural is because it, it's there's so many different phases of play where your arms are in a natural position, and I, I don't think that we uh, we've we, they've had enough training education on natural and unnatural. And for me, the best people to come in and train our officials is ex-managers, coaches, or players. They have to have something to do with it. And also, what is a port bad challenge is what is not a bad challenge. And and I've seen many handballs, and we've seen handballs given recently. And you're thinking that's not deliberate. His arms are in a natural position a position for that phase of play. And that's the problem we're getting. And that's where we're getting the inconsistencies. I mean, I saw a game this weekend, was it at, at Brighton, where the Sheffield United players clearly, he's clearly made, made himself, moved his arm towards the ball and no, 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 no review. Now, for me, that is a clear and obvious error because the, the, he's turned his back, he's pushed his arm towards the ball. For me, that is where VAR should come in and recommend a review. And then on another week, it will be it will be uh, um, recommended for review. So we're having so many inconsistencies with so many things, and also with sub subjective decisions. You know, is it a red card? Is it not a red card? And I still feel we, we there's still a lot more training education regarding <clears throat> challenges. What is a what is a serious foul play challenge? What is a reckless challenge? I mean, we've seen. I mean, in the Tottenham Tottenham Chelsea game. Um, you know, we saw a, a challenge in in uh, and was it and Doggy? I think the first challenge where he's got a yellow card. I, th I think it was on Ash. Uh, was it on um, Ryan Sterling? Uh, and you look at that and you think that that met the criteria for me for serious foul play. So why haven't VAR come and got involved? Because if, if everybody is saying that is a that is a poor challenge, it should have been a red card. Everybody can't be wrong, can they? So I think there is a, a big inconsistency, a lack of training, education, leadership and direction on, on, on VAR. Christina, for you, um, it, what, is, what are your doubts about VAR at the moment and the way it's being officiated, not just in the Premier League, but uh, around the world? Yeah, so <clears throat> I was part of when Major League Soccer implemented in one of the first leagues in the world to implement VAR under the guidance of Howard Webb himself specifically. And it it was we were part of that first group that started the process. And you know, I think Mark hit it on the head a bit when it comes down to training protocol systems. I personally don't think VAR in how it is drafted and created, there's a couple of minor tweaks I would like to do to it is in and of itself broken, right? It's essentially in the application of how it's being done. And having the benefit and the doubt, I covered Champions League, um, Europa League, City A, I work in Major League Soccer, you know, NWSL now has it, the Women's Professional Soccer League. And uh, now I get pulled in to talk about quite a bit about Premier League. So I've been able to see how VAR is implemented across, across the world collectively. And it really, really, really comes down to that um, component of ensuring that the application in and of itself is systemic and it follows the process. 
I know when Howard trained us, um, everyone was essentially creating the VAR process as we went. I think the the protocol changed three or four times during that you know year leading into the application or the implementation of VAR. Um, and so for me, it is a very systemic approach on how you do it in order to ensure we don't have inconsistent recommendations down mm-hmm. around subjective plays. And this is just a, uh, it's a perfect storm of what's occurring right now. We had VAR implemented, uh, as I heard Mark, you know, maybe we they didn't follow specifically the training protocol and they went a little bit outside of that protocol and it's important to stay in there. So from a legal perspective, if we're looking down from a very more of a judicial perspective, right? Uh, you know, here, at least in the States, you know, it's kind of comes closer to like criminal, criminal procedure, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, meaning 99.9%, this is incorrect. And that's the standard and it's a high, high standard. And everything beneath it, we need to check APP, you know, clear the APP to make sure there's no fouls leading to it. All of those things, it requires that mindset. We can't just referee or VAR off a field. It actually has to follow a system. And if that wasn't introduced, if that wasn't, I, I when I was being trained on VAR, it drove me crazy how systemic we were and the words we had to use, right? Yeah. Check complete or reset or possible offside or possible foul. Uh, you know, those types of words that we had to use or is the APP checked. <clears throat> and now when I've heard the audio systems around the world, I understand why we had to emphasize those words because it ensured that we didn't have the misstep that we had in Liverpool, right? When we came down to processes and saying, you know, the decision on the field is this, let's open up the review. We're now starting from the beginning of the APP and checking two or three other incidents prior to it. So, I do really think that the system, VAR in and of itself isn't broken. The philosophy is not broken. Um, the fundamentals aren't broken. It's essentially ensuring that the ear is a painstaking attention to detail and teaching that protocol mm-hmm. and ensuring. And if we're going to be sp- speaking pr- specifically about the Premier League, you know, I I, I, <clears throat> I give a lot to Howard Webb for stepping into the middle of that. It's like any coach stepping into a, a training, into a new team. You've inher- inherited the players that you've had. And now not mm-hmm. only do you have to retrain your entire team. You have to retrain any hesitancy or pushback they have from saying we've been doing this correct. So it's in complete philosophy, mindset change, Mm -hmm. as well as all those trainings change. And then handling is just a completely different piece that's adding to this perfect storm. I mean, she's correct. Christina's spot on. I mean, Howard's got a massive job over here. Um, You you know, the Premier League is not the MLS, so it's totally, totally different. You're in the spotlight. And I I just feel that we've got to be careful because I I, I think that sometimes in where where we are, I don't know if you see it, Christina, but I I think the referees are relying on on VAR. They're not they're not forgetting about VAR. They're not refereeing what's in front of them and making that and going out and making those important decisions. And sometimes I also feel that that the the VARs are. Are re-refereeing game, re-refereeing the games, and we've, we've you know, we say we've got, to, like you say, we've got to get that philosophy across that they're not there. It's there for the clear and obvious errors. That's what VAR is there for, and we've got to be careful we don't go too far the other way. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's for me VAR is 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 excellent. It's here to stay, and we've got to recognise that. But we've got to we've got to get it right, you know, because it's it's causing so much confusion in 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 the UK. Uh, I, I mean, I, I watched the, the, the you know the, the men's World Cup, the women's World Cup, and it ran it runs so smoothly. But yes, I understand we've got the world's best officials at, at the games, but it, it, we just didn't have that problem. We just didn't have the problems that we see in the Premier League. 
I think Maurizio Pochettino summed it up well, and you've both touched upon it when he said that he trusts in the car, but not at the moment in the driver. And obviously that plays to Christina's point about education and training being needed. And at the moment, my feeling, Christina, and Mark, feel free to touch upon this as well, is that referees see VAR as a safety net. They allow the play to continue. They don't want to stop it because then what you're doing is preventing the consequences from manifesting. And then ultimately, VAR can tidy it up. VAR can look at it. So if there's any doubt, what you do is let everything run on and that can add delays, that can add contention and it can take the authority and control away from the referee. Of course, with things like semi-automatic offsides, you could be in a situation where if you are confident in the technology, you get a little notification, you do stop the play, you never know the consequences in that particular situation. And then as a result, you don't have as much of the debate. But of course, the flip side of that is that people will always say, why didn't you let it run on? We want to know whether the player would have scored and then we want to analyse the goal. And I think when we've seen a lack of VAR in League Cup, for example, we've seen the same criticism. So that's the irony in all of this. When VAR is over forensic, it's problematic and authority is taken away from the officials. When you don't yeah. have VAR, people turn around and say that was an awful game by the officials. And that only illustrates the fact that with VAR, we are getting improved decisions. So Christina at first and then Mark, how do we get a situation where officials on field retain their authority and control. It's having your cake and eating it too, to that extent, right? You know, everybody wants to wants VAR, but then they don't want VAR, and then they want VAR in these instances. And we can't rely upon when someone's subjective whims, when they are favoring a team and would have wanted to see that. We have to do it from a very neutral standpoint. That being said, I would say that the mindset and the mentality of the majority of officials, at least here domestic stateside and myself included, is that you are officiating as if the system doesn't exist when it comes to making a decision. Um, like I said, I will, I will, you know, hold on to that being here domestic in the United States, that we are officiating as if the system didn't exist, except the only things we are tweaking is essentially when it comes to protocol <clears throat> from an assistant referee holding down their flag when they have an offside decision, that communication is already happening between the officials saying, I have offside, you know, delaying, delaying, delaying to play out that play. So <clears throat> we had an example, for example, in NWSL, keeper hot, touches the ball outside the kind of the penalty area scenario. And it was a scenario where the officials without VAR would not have been able to make that decision on the field due to angles, um, the way the ball was played and not being in line from the assistant referee's position, meaning just it was catching up to pace. Um, and the officiators without, but in the back of the mind, it's also that concept saying, thank God we could not see that based upon this play in the context. But we do know that if there is something that is clear and obvious error, VAR will have it, but the play continues. So, you know, everyone's kind of, I've, I've gotten a lot of these kinds of comments of saying, you know, referees used VAR as a, as a crutch, you know, they're relying too much on the system. No, no, no. They're just officiating as they should be officiating and mm -hmm. making those decisions, knowing that in the worst case scenario, VAR is in the back end. We're not relying upon it. We're not saying we're not making a decision. No decision is a decision in and of itself. Right. So every time you make a decision or not make a decision, it's a decision. Um, so when it comes to the officials relying on it, thinking it's a crutch, you know, are concerned about it, saying, et cetera, no VAR will make it, make the decision on it. Uh, that's not the mindset and that's not the philosophy of how an official should be officiating with the VAR protocol. Instead, you are officiating, you are in charge of the game. Any recommendation sound is still just keyword, a recommendation from the VAR 
obviously everyone's like, every time they go to the monitor, they come out. Well, yeah, that's kind of the whole point. If you're recommending something down, it should be a clear and obvious error. And there should be very clear evidence to that. But I know at least here, domestic state side of major league soccer, there's times where there are improper VAR recommendations and those are, and those are acted upon in the sense of not taking that recommendation. So I teeter on that because I know many people aren't in the mindsets of the refs and don't know how we're approaching and using it. Mark, I'm not sure if there's any difference over there for you over the pond, but here domestically VAR isn't a crutch. It's more for knowing there's just that backup system if it's needed. But to hear check complete in your ear is a nice hearing from a referee, meaning you've gotten the decision correct or at least not clearly wrong. I would tell people I don't get clear wrong errors. I might get an error, but I don't do clearly wrong errors. I, I used to like that little voice in my ear when I was refereeing. So, Mark, you're, you're spot on the scene on the TV. You, you got that right. Oh, great. I can carry on. No, don't have to worry. But no, I think you're spot on. Um, I think I think there is a I think there is a bit of a problem here where I think referees do rely on on the VAR. Um, they're not. They're not making that decision, and you, you, and, I, and I think you know we had we had the problem um, a couple of weeks ago, or last week at Newcastle, Newcastle Arsenal, where we had to obviously there was massive prop. You know, there's free. There was free free checks going on with was the ball out of play, was it offside, or was it was it a foul? Now, you know, I, I think that we've we've got to make sure we've got enough cameras so we get that de definitive angle so we can make that call they they didn't they couldn't make the call on on the goal they weren't obviously sorry the ball out of play was it out of play was it not out of play didn't have the camera angle was it offside it was one of those where they couldn't they didn't have the correct camera angle to see if it was offside or not offside and then obviously it came down to to the the hands on the back a lot of people will say it was a foul a lot of people say it, it wasn't a foul so for me that's subjective so you know, I know a lot of people will argue saying that the VAR should have got involved and recommending the review to the referee. Had the referee gone over, he possibly would have disallowed the goal. But that was a subject that was subjective. So I, I'm with that. I'm with that that the, that the VAR doesn't get involved. And and Christine is absolutely right. We they we only want them to get involved when it's an absolute howler. That that's what it's for. I mean, we foot, football's football's been going for hundreds of hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, you know, we've come, we're into a different era now where VAR is, where people's perception is that it, it's ruining the game of football, especially here in, in England, Christina. They, they, they think it's ruining the game. But for me, I think it, it, it's a good tool, you know, because there was a few times when I refereed where I, I missed a poor, I missed a really poor challenge <laughs> at, at, at uh, Wigan against Newcastle in the Premier League. I think it was uh, Herrera on, on McManaman. And, it, you know, if I had VAR that day, I know VAR would have got involved and said, Mark, you need to go and look at this. And I know straight away, you know, I would have only need, needed one look and it would have been a red card. But what, 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 what I think we need to look at as well is that when they, when they view these, these challenges, in the, in the Premier League, I don't know if you've seen it, Christina, but as soon as they go to the screen, it's there in slow motion. It's there in, sorry, in stills. It's there in stills. And we know what stills put into your mind straight. As soon as you see the still picture, you think, God, that's a shocking tackle. But I think we need to make these decisions and look at these decisions in, in real time, in, in, in real time. And I think we need to look at a time as well, you know, because we're spent in the UK. Sometimes it's taking three minutes or more to, to look at these, to check these things out. Now, if you're taking that long to decide if it's a penalty, is it not a penalty, then, it, then you, you go with the on-field decision. You know, I think uh, you've got semi-automated offsides in the MLS. 
No. No, we do not. I mean, the only ones I know is Champions League, um, City A, who's actively using um, semi-automated offside. But Major League Soccer does it. We don't use the offside lines either. We don't have that extra implementation. So when uh, we talk about offside, no one's up in the air because if it's there's any doubt, it stays down. And people prefer that, right, because we want yes. goals. But, you know, you hit it on the head when it talks about the stills. And one thing I want to clarify about the still shot, for those who don't know, because you're right, everything looks worse in slow motion. Everything looks worse in that but the reason why the still shot is first issued down to the referee is to show points of contact Contact, depending on the context of the play if we're talking about serious foul play or violent conduct you must show the referee first point of contact because if the point of contact is studs on top of the boot we shouldn't be showing the referee that unless we're undoing a red card right Mm -hmm. so that's why and just to kind of clarify for people you know usually when the referee is going over the communication should be from the VAR to the referee saying, you know, Mark, I'm sending you over to the monitor. I'll be first showing you a still shot of the point of contact from here. You'll see studs going into the high uh, let's use, you know, uh, a rash verge, right. And champions like, you know, studs yeah. going into the ankle, a uh, high ankle. You'll clearly see the point of contact. The next still shot or the next shot I'm going to show you is actually the play in 50% meaning the speed will be at 50%, so you can mm. appreciate the contact. And then finally, the last one is now I'm going to show it to you in full play so you can appreciate speed and force into this context of the play. And that's where I talk about it has to be systemic and procedural, mm. and it has to be proactive even before the referee gets to the monitor. Mentally, you mm. are resetting the frame of your referee so they know what they're looking at, why they're looking at, and then being able to say, and I'm also going to give you the appreciation and the feel for it in full speed so that referee can use the on-field field as well as a video experience. it's interesting uh, i mean you know what you talk about sorry sorry angus can i just go on mark just, no you carry on yeah 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 and then i'll come in christina i mean you talk about the rashford challenge yeah. because there was a lot of condemnation here in the uk that's saying that that was not a, a serious foul play challenge now when i saw that i looked at that and i thought did that meet the criteria i mean I, what what we, i won't ask you i'll ask your view in a, in a second but when i saw that challenge okay I looked at that and I thought to myself, did that did that challenge meet the criteria of serious foul play? Okay, so serious foul play is uh, a, a, when a player making a challenge, a lunge from the front, from the side, from behind, with one or two feet that endangers the the player's safety with excessive force and brutality, must be sanctioned with a red card. Now. I, I didn't feel that challenge met that criteria. I felt it was more reckless than serious foul play. It'd be interesting for those who, to I hear. just want to clear up one thing, Mark. Yeah, yeah just, just for those who haven't seen this, this is where Rashford puts his left foot across in front of the player and makes contact with the shin of the player, doesn't he? That That's what it is. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's probably half, halfway up his leg, isn't it? Mm. And I think yeah. Christina, you were, you know, you were in a, a debate with some players that night uh, from former players, Thierry Henry, uh, Jamie Carragher, Mika Richards, who didn't feel they thought it was a, a football incident. They felt mm. that that didn't warrant a red card because, you know, that happens all the time. Mark, you, you come back at this. Uh, I know on the night, Christina, you said that is a red card by the mm. by the statute of the law. That is a red card. Mark, sorry, just I just wanted to clear yes. that up. So, so so that 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 brings in the subjectivity and clear and obvious error. Now, listen, I, you, as you know, I've played the game. I played the game at semi-professional for many years before I become a referee. So I was always known as a, a player's referee. But 
but don't don't get me wrong. You know, I know the difference between serious foul play and reckless, and, and I just felt that there was a bit of subjectivity on that challenge because it didn't meet the criteria of of serious foul play, and I I, I just felt it was more reckless than than serious foul play. But Christine will say it's a red, and I and I thought it was yellow. <clears> so there's the subjectivity in in, in two in, you know from two people, two referees in in one challenge. Yeah, and I mean, I was and hanging my hat on. Yeah, I know, right? And then you guys are sitting there being like, "Wait, you guys have the exact same training." Um, the <laughs> the the portions of it, because not every play is the same, and that's the one thing I always right. want to qualify. And you're right, Rashford's essentially overstepping to create that, um, essentially to brace and protect the ball uh, going in that. The Copenhagen player's foot is already in that position. Does he have the right to play and put his foot there as well? The answer is yes. He was actually there first, right? Uh, so Rashford's going in to try to create the space. Now, the facts that are one of the things that people had to eliminate from their mindset um, is intent. Everyone was hanging their hat. Micah Richards was hanging his hat on intent, intent, intent. Rashford didn't intend to do this. I'm like, you're 100% correct. He didn't intent, intend to not do in the that. laws of the game. Intent isn't in the laws of the game. That's and people right. are like, well, there wasn't malice. There wasn't this. You don't need that. We're looking at factual scenarios. And it's just helping people to understand from a refereeing perspective, what were the facts that threw that over? So when we talk about serious foul play and excessive force, the excessive force element comes into the context of that play. And mm -hmm. here the Copenhagen player's foot is set, studs in next to the ball, and it's trapped. It's caught. The feet are in the grass. It's not up in the air so that if Rashford hits it, there's leeway, right? It is stuck in that ground. So when Rashford's studs come in high in knee, he has no give. So essentially, and if you take a look at it, I know everyone's like, oh, it's slow play. I'm like, fast play, it probably hurts even more, right, than slow play. You literally have his whole ankle buckling in. And because it's foot stuck in it, you don't need a lot of excessive force. You don't need Rashford running in 15, 20 yards, studs in and taking him out. You don't need a lot of excessive force. And that's why that pendulum of defining excessive force comes into each context play. And so for me, because he doesn't need as much speed, force, the point of mm -hmm. contact, and how the Copenhagen player's foot was set in there that he had no giveaway, rised mm. it to the level of what I consider serious foul mm. play for excessive force in this scenario, once you remove or don't even have that discussion That's, of intent. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing I've learned with with you, Mark, and we've worked together quite a lot in a, in a TV studio, you always say that you know intent is nowhere in the law. It, it's it either happens or it doesn't, and it doesn't matter if you mean to do it or you don't. The consequences right, are the same. Yeah, because there is no yes. intent. Well, look, we'll come back to this um, because uh, I, from a television and look, Ben as a journalist, me as a journalist, worked in TV a lot. And you talk about the number of cameras there and not getting the right angle. We can discuss that a bit um, uh, after we've heard from Fabrizio Romano, because away from the VAR world, we need to know what's going on behind the scenes in the transfer market. As ever, our transfer guru, Fabrizio Romano, can tell us more. And I caught up with him just a little bit earlier. Fabrizio, thanks once again for joining us. Let's start with Aaron Ramsdale. Um, is there any possibility he could move mid-season, that he could move out of Arsenal uh, during January? I think it's a possibility because he's not playing, but it's not something guaranteed at all. Uh, you know, when I'm speaking to my sources on this situation, what I'm told is the goalkeeper's market is always not easy at all. Uh, usually when big goalkeepers, important goalkeepers like Ramsdale move, is when you have kind of domino effect on the goalkeeper situation. And in this moment, we don't see this kind of effect. This is also why, for example, David De Gea is still available as a free agent. And uh, in the January window, usually big clubs are not changing their goalkeeper. So at the moment, the situation 
is really quiet. But in case there is, I don't know, an injury or an opportunity somewhere, this could be a possibility. Ramsdale wants to play more, for sure. But he's also prepared, from what I heard, to fight for his place at Arsenal in case he's going to stay there. Uh, I can guarantee also that Chelsea are not working on, on Ramsdale deal. We had some links in the recent days, but I'm told that he's not a target for Chelsea and they're not going to sign any goalkeeper in the January window. Okay, let's go across the other side of North London at Spurs. Look, um, do they need a, a centre-back or creative cover with the injuries to Van der Ven and, and uh, Madison? Yeah, they will look into opportunities, for sure. They're not disparate with that. Of course, uh, they've been really unlucky with all these injuries at the same moment. Uh, as you mentioned, Madison, Nicky Van der Ven, also Richarlison, who is an important player for them. So many injuries, but at the same time, they are really not disparate because they know that these players will be back by the end of December. Uh, so they will be ready for January, they will be ready to compete with their best players. And so I think they will look into it at the end of December. How is the recovery process for these players and what kind of players they need? I don't see Tottenham spending crazy money in January. From what I'm told, this is not the plan. This is not the idea. They're also happy with the balance they have in the squad right now. But obviously, the recovery process is going to be important to see if they want to add some player and in which position. But I think they could do something in the final days, maybe, of the January window. What about Manchester United and, and their search for a, a centre-back? And also, I suppose, the question why Rafa Varane is not playing. Yeah, Rafa Varane, the, the message that we get from Manchester United is very clear. is tactical decision. Eritanag is very happy with Harry Maguire this season in general. Very happy with his approach, with how he's playing, his mentality. So they're very happy with him. And Johnny Evans is partnering very well with him. So this is why they, they believe that this was the best pair. But now with, uh, with Evans' injury, I'm sure that Varane will get more game time and they will try to, to fix the situation. So it's about the, the rotation. It's also true that, of course, in case they receive some important proposal in January, the situation could be different for Rafa Varane. At the moment, I'm not aware of any concrete negotiation yet. But in case something happens in January, I think that could be an open situation for Varane in, in 2024 in the January uh, in the January window. And for May United, the priority from what I'm told since September is to sign a new important centre-back. Then they will decide what they want to do in the January window based on what kind of opportunities there will be on the market because many of the names we have mentioned here multiple times for May United are not available in January. Uh, for example, players like Todibo, he's a really important player for Nice, uh, or Tapsoba, is a crucial player for Bayer Leverkusen. It's not easy to go and sign these players in the January window. So if May United can find the right opportunity, for sure they will be into it. Otherwise, it will be in the summer. But the idea is to bring in an important centre-back in 2024. OK, let's move on to a left-back, not a centre-back, but a left-back also in, in Germany, uh, Alfonso Davis. Now, you've been talking recently about a potential move for him to Real Madrid. Yes, this is a possibility. Um, let me say that the situation of Alfonso Davis is quite special because he's under contract till June 2025, but the agreement to extend his contract, a new long-term deal at Bayern, was almost done. It was in March. Yes, it was March, beginning of April, when they almost agreed all terms of the new contract. Then what happened is that Bayern changed everything. So Magazman out, Tuchel in, uh, Khan out, uh, Asan Salamizic also out. So the world management and the manager left the club and they changed everything. New director, new CEO, new manager. So they had to restart the conversations with the agents of Alfonso Davis. And from what I'm hearing at the moment, this conversation is not that positive. So there is still no agreement between Bayern and Alfonso Davis on new contract. And there is a concrete chance for 
Bayern to sell the player in, in next summer because they don't want to sell the player on a free transfer in summer 2025. So for the January window, I don't see anything happening for this one. I don't see Alfonso Davis leaving Bayern, but for the summer it could be different. And Real Madrid are interested. Real Madrid really appreciate the player. Real Madrid believe they need a new left back in, in the summer transfer window. And so Alfonso is in Real Madrid list for next summer. It's interesting you say, you know, Real Madrid needs someone during the summer and they'll want a left back then. The implication coming out of uh, Real Madrid is that they don't and will not sign anyone in January. Is that your understanding? Yes, this is their private and public message. Carlo Ancelotti said that in, in his press conference, but it's the same message I'm getting on the club side. This is really something that I expected, honestly. This is how Real Madrid work, usually. So they never go on the January transfer window, despite injuries or any other situation. They are still very happy with the squad they have. Of course, they were really unlucky with the ACL injury for Thibaut Courtois and the same for Militao, but they see the team reacting very well. So if the situation will stay like this and they don't have any other injury, they will do nothing in the January window. They're happy with the squad they have and they will start planning for the summer. This is Real Madrid model. They used the January window to plan for the future. Last uh, last year, they signed Hendrik for the future. Uh, this year, they are planning, as we mentioned, Alfonso Davies and maybe something else for the summer window. So Real Madrid used the January window and December, also February, to plan for the future. Now, let's move on to something that's a little bit technical, but there's a big vote, um, Fabrizio, on, on the 21st relating to associated party transactions. That's effectively, it was the, the big six in the Premier, Premier League wanted to make sure any deal with a third party over £100,000 could be justified. Uh, it was fair market value. Therefore, that was particularly going to affect Newcastle. And the knock-on effect of that is, I wonder about Ruben Neves, who's currently in Saudi Arabia, whether he would be able to come in January to Newcastle as some sort of deal, or whether that would be sort of vetoed or have to be justified in a way by this big meeting on the 21st. Yes, this meeting will be really important, really, really important to clarify this kind of situations. I think it was needed uh, because with this kind of, of situations, as you mentioned, with Newcastle, but also other situations around with co-ownership, they need to clarify how is the how is the point and uh, to avoid any, any problems. So this is what is going to happen. Uh, from what I'm hearing, Newcastle are not so optimistic. Newcastle believe that many clubs will try to block this kind of, of movement. And so also the Ruben Neves deal uh, is in danger at the moment. Uh, and they know that it's really complicated to, to make it happen. Newcastle still waiting. So I think on the 21st, we will have clarity on this story, but they are still still waiting to understand what happens. For sure, Newcastle idea, in any case, let's see what happens on the 21st, is to sign a new midfielder. They have to cover uh, Sandro Tonali, who will be unavailable for the rest of the season. They are looking into the midfielder's market. Uh, as I said already here, for them, it's really important to understand whether they will be in Champions League or maybe Europa League or maybe out of European competitions. That group is really crazy in, uh, in Champions League. So they are waiting for clarity over European competitions and then they will decide how much they will spend on the midfielder what kind of player they want because for example Calvin Phillips could be another opportunity another possibility but it's not a negotiation as of today because Newcastle are still waiting to activate their machine to to make something happen if it went in their their direction would Neves be at the top of their list is he sort of priority number one 
Yeah, he's a player they, they really like and a player they really appreciate, including Andy Howe. So I'm sure that if they have the possibility, they want to go on and proceed with the Ruben Neves deal. He's the perfect player for them. Many points of view. He also has the experience they need in the midfield. So they really like him. But again, uh, this, this decision on the 21st will clarify everything. Newcastle are waiting. They know that Ruben Neves will also be open to this possibility to return to Premier League, to return to European football. It will be a big opportunity for him. Obviously, Newcastle hope to be still there in the second part of the season. And so Ruben Neves is waiting and Newcastle are waiting basically now. Well, we'll see what happens on the 21st. And um, we've got an international break between now and then, which you're going to enjoy, Fabrizio. I hope you uh, get some time off. You don't have to sit by your phone the whole time. But uh, as ever, it's been great to talk to you. And we'll speak to you again next week. Thank you and see you soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Cheers, Fab. Fabrizio talking to me uh, a little bit uh, earlier on today. Oh, Mark's on the phone. We don't want to interrupt him. Gee, he's so busy. Honestly, you're you're busier than Fabrizio Romano. No, it was honestly Peter Walden. It was Peter Walden, my good mate. Oh, Peter, he's He's at him in the conversation. Yeah, exactly. He should he should come and join us. Right, I'm going to put you back on the spot then, Mark, because uh, during our previous conversation. Yeah, yeah, go on. You, we were talking about that Anthony Gordon goal, okay? It was yeah. looked at for three different reasons. Whether the ball had gone out of play, this is Newcastle between uh, Newcastle Arsenal, whether the ball had gone out of play, uh, possible offside, that he was actually offside, and a possible push by Joel Linton on Gabriel. Now, you said it could be interpreted either way. Let, let's take away the first two, whether the ball was in or out of play, or whether it was offside. But... The possible push comes down to referee or a VAR decision um, that, no. that will ultimately fall fall with the referee. What was your so, opinion? You said it could be interpreted either way. What would you have said if you'd seen it? Well, you'd been the referee that night. Well, I, listen, it, it's one of it, it, it's one of those. I mean, it's so the referee makes so many decisions during a game, like like Christina said. You know, a non-decision is a decision. Um, I, I, I think I think if it, for me it's subjective. I think if the referee sees that on the night and he gives that and disallows the goal for that push, then I think it, then everybody would accept it. So, uh, and, I, and I think, looking at it, I think VAR's not got involved because it is subjective. A lot of people say it wasn't a foul. A lot of people say it was a foul. So, for me, that, that was a subjective decision and I think VAR were right to stay out of it. So it wasn't a clear and obvious error that they were going to look at again. For Christina, did, you saw that incident yourself, did you? Do you, do you I did. think it was a foul? Yeah, That would be something that we would recommend here in Major League Soccer for that. And yes, when you jump, especially you're using your arms up, but there's a difference between using your arms and placing them on one's back versus the full extension and pushing through the back. Um, and then you, you're you taking a look at that and you're also taking a look at the trajectory of the ball and when was it there, right? Did you know, did Anthony Gordon, did he get his head on it before the extension of the push? Um, was it simultaneously or did he get the push off before he got the header? Those are the those are the facts that we have to take a look at to determine yeah. that. And if I remember correctly, just off the top of my head, the full extension through what I call the numbers, right? The back, your, your back numbers, that full extension through the back and then the header into the back of the goal based on that sequence would be something to recommend down for the referee to take another look at it. Cause like, as March met, Mark mentioned, you take a look at that and you're like, yeah, you know, I think nine out of 10 people, if they, we're sitting in a clip analysis room, if we threw the clips up and we're all in a conference drinking our hot teas with a little pad papers, right. Um, all in our warm ups as we always do. Like everyone would say, yeah, that's a, that's a simple foul. It's a simple expected foul. 
Um, and that's why we would recommend it down because if the referee took two looks at it and said, push extension through the numbers before the ball got there and then the header in it, it's a simple foul. No one's going to complain if we give that foul coming out. Uh, I'll say, I think if the referee gives that on the night, there's no complaints whatsoever. But I think when you look at it, Gabriel is already going down. He's already going forward. So he's already already on his way down. So I think that's why VAR didn't get involved in, in that situation. And and Howard's been a, an advocate of a, of a high bar um, in getting involved in those situations in, 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 in the Premier League with uh, PGMOL officials. I want to move on to another incident that obviously made a number of headlines, Christina. We spoke about this also the last time you were on the show, and that is Darren England and Liverpool's disallowed goal. Luis Diaz's first half strike ruled out for offside against Spurs. There was obviously a miscommunication as to what the on-field decision was, leading to play restarting very quickly. And then under the rules of the game and panic in the VAR room, we saw nothing called back and ultimately the goal not given, Jurgen Klopp calling for a replay. Now the dust has settled on that, Mark and then Christina, what have we learned from that incident? I'm not entirely comfortable as a journalist, as a football fan, hearing, for example, that Darren England won't be refereeing Liverpool games because you suddenly then create a situation where clubs can pick and choose the referee and the punishment doesn't meet the crime because there were a whole range of things that led to that decision. So surely we should be learning mm. rather than punishing from that kind of incident. Absolutely agree, Ben. Before you come back, it's not rules, it's the laws, OK? Laws of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's, Ben's been in America too much. They call it rules. That's a yellow card for you, Ben. <laughs> I actually prefer rules because <laughs> law implies rigidness. It, rules implies something we can debate and fix in a more flexible way. <laughs> well, I think I think you're right. I mean, when when Howard first come come here, I mean, we, I mean, me and Howard go back many years and we're good friends. But when he first come on TV. Um, and talk, going through VAR, they, 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 they do a show like you'd like done in, 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 in the MLS, Christina. You come out and you had a you had a weekly show, didn't you? Well, in, on on Sky here, um, he does it. He, he's done he's done a month a monthly or a couple of monthly shows. And the first thing I picked up was the chit chat that goes on that, that, that's been going on between the, the, the referee and, and and VAR. And for me, it was far far too much talking going on. Far too much, too much confusion. Too much confusion. And it's just got to be simple to win. I know we heard, Leo, they said, oh, they didn't know whether this, they, they didn't realise or they, the VR didn't realise um, that it had been, dis, it, it been um, it, it, it disallowed for offside. The check was over. Yeah. 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 So they didn't, they didn't realise. Yeah. But, but, but as soon as, but see, that's why I think we need to hear the conversations. And, and, you, and you, you touched on it earlier, Christina, you know, holding the flag, holding the flag, holding the flag. He's offside, he's offside, but holding the flag, holding the flag. Ball goes in the back and that flag goes up for offside. So everybody knows in that VAR room that they've disallowed a goal for, for offside. So when we hear when we hear the chit-chat, it was far, far too much and not concise and straight to the point. So so what was going on? What was see for me there was that we, we, we heard the, the AVAR, the VAR, we heard the technician and his and his assistant. In, in there as well, talking. I mean, surely we shouldn't be hearing the technician talking. They should hear that, but we shouldn't be hearing that. Now, 
I, I just don't understand. Listen, that was a that was a catas catastrophic error, and and you're right, Ben. Okay, we've made they've made a human error. That Darren England made an error on that on that day. Okay, fine, we all make errors. No one no one's been shot. No one's been killed. But, you know, let's hope Darren learns from that and he and and he parks it, moves on, and he, he and he should be refereeing the following week. Okay, or the week after. Okay, take him out the firing line. And, and to say he's not refereeing Liverpool anymore this season, I, 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 I don't agree with it. I actually do not agree with it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think lessons have been learned from that. I, I, I think that, again, VAR protocol needs to be refined because what, it, what in that situation, OK, I watched, I watched that and I know what the VAR protocol is. To pre, you know, in, in law, you can, after players restarted, you can go back and and with with a, an offence of serious um, violent conduct, you can play can be restarted and you can go back to that incident. Okay, but all other incidents you, you cannot because that that's that's law law twelve thousand misconduct. But in the in the and that's in the VAR protocol as well. But any in the VAR protocol with any serious incident missed, any serious incident missed, you can go back and then. Acts on the acts of violent conduct. Now, to me, there was a get-out clause there for for the VAR as well because that was a serious incident missed, a catastrophic incident missed. And it but it wasn't a, but it wasn't a violent conduct. So, are you saying that no, in the protocol, no, it's only saying, if it's that, violent that, conduct you can go I'm back? That, that's where I'm saying about the, 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 the VAR protocol needs reform. Now, if you look at that, I think had they used their common sense and used that, um, I know it's not. Christina will say, well, that's not correct in law, but they could have used that IFAB protocol with a serious incident missed. This wasn't a serious incident missed. This was a catastrophic incident missed on that situation. Come the end of the season, that could cost them a Champions League place. It could cost them something else, uh, you know, a, a league title. So with that, they could have, what in that incident, what did what would football expect? It's not always about the laws of the game. It's about the game of football. So it's not always, as I say, it's not always about the laws of the game. You could look at that. They could, they could use that as a, as, a, as a serious incident missed. It was only a few seconds. Stop the game. Look, listen, guys, we've made an absolute howler here. Absolute howler. It, a goal should have been given. And this is what we're going to do. And I think everybody would have said, do you know what? Absolutely fair play. Absolutely well done. And I'm sure Howard would have said, OK, yeah, listen, technically... Perhaps in the laws of the game, that's not correct. But with this incident, you know, they, they, they thought on their feet. They, they, they had that get-out clause with a serious incident missed with the VAR protocol and then changed it and reversed it and, and given the goal. But then we heard them saying, oh, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. Well, you know, yeah. with the, as I've said... As we I've heard said them before, swearing. Well, yeah, well, yes, <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we did, we did. But with that incident, what, you know, I, I know it's about the laws game, but... It's not always about laws. It's about the game of football. What did everybody expect in that situation? And that's where I'll come back and say the VAR protocol, the, 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 it needs to be reformed and rewritten. On for, for I, Christina, I, I wonder what you think about that. Because, look, you're, you're a lawyer as well. You abide by the law. So you're looking at the, the law of the game. Oh, so God, I'm, could in, you... I'm in trouble then, Angus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Could you... <laughs> Do you feel you could have interpreted it that way, or do you feel you would have been stuck by the protocol of of what you've been told and therefore couldn't have gone back? 
So one of the biggest things that was very impressionable to me when I first started advancing my career from just a recreational youth grassroots referee to advancing it was, uh, you know, a good individual here in the United States, Alfred Clonitis, would always tell me he'd take a, the laws of the game. He'd say, you can always bend the rules, but you cannot rip them, <laughs> right? And so that to me and tying that into what Mark just said about football understanding, football expectations, also, we are in the modern game of football. So there is many of us who have played the game historically in the past, refereed historically in the past. And as an official, if we don't catch up to the modern game and what football expects and understands, we're going to become dinosaurs and irrelevant. And here, Mark will appreciate this. From the lawyer perspective and the technical perspective, I know Ben and I have this conversation, I wouldn't hang my hat on the serious missed incident because that falls on the officials on the field missing a serious missed incident. Instead, this is what football expects. This is how we can bend, even though we might be potentially tearing the law a little bit and the protocol, which is outside of law one, right? And on, it's law outside. Eight, law, law 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, where that used to be common sense, right? Yeah. So we're going to tap back into that. But that being said is in the VAR protocol, you know, if we break a law such as penalty kicks, right? We give an indirect free kick instead of a retake, then the teams can essentially dispute that because it's an actual break of the law and actually have the game replayed from that instance. So we always have joke. If your referee is about to give an indirect free kick and it should be a, you know, a retake you as a fourth official, take the soccer ball as an AR run into the field, do something to stop it. Right. This is kind of an analogy of that. When you see that from the VAR perspective, and there was a, a myriad of issues and it came to sterilizing the environment, having your pregame, we have pre-games before the games for the on-field officials. The VAR needs to have that pre-game before with your assistant VAR, your video operators, specifically your video operators, because those individuals change all the time, um, and just say, here's the process I go through. But that being said is at that moment, as soon as they realized, because it was very, very quick, that they check completed something that they thought was an offside, and they realized that very quickly, as we can hear from the audio, that equivalent of essentially throwing the ball in the field and trying to stop the game from beginning again, saying, hey, I need you to stop the play and then walk that referee, knowing that you're going to put this referee in a really big scenario. Mm -hmm. But that VAR protocol, the part that gives you that leeway is there's a clause that says VAR, whether used properly or improperly, uh, cannot be the game cannot be contested on, on its use in and of itself. On the use of technology, you cannot contest a game on its misapplication. So at that point, but that's like really knowing the VAR protocol, you know, I would, and I think that's, and I know that's where, you know, Darren, you could hear him say like, I'm not, I'm tied. I can't stop this game. My hands are tied. Cause he's like, I can't break the law, but there's that one little, and that's why I don't think we really need to really clean up the VAR protocol too much because there's that still little catchphrase, what we call it in law, that last bullet point and any and all other duties and responsibilities is the last bullet point on your job employment. Um, and that's what lets you get out of Darren being able to say, we've already restarted play. I need you to stop, stop, stop. I think the next thing was a throw in. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to send you to the monitor. Um, and now that even though it's sub even though it's um, it's an objective offside decision to sell it to the, the, the coaches, to the players, to the fans, to the stands, the TV, you now need to make it a bigger thing of it and send him to the monitor. And during yeah. that time period, that removes everybody from him. And then from Darren, we'll be able to explain step-by-step, step, sending you to the monitor, take a really deep, big, deep breath. breath we yeah. screwed up <laughs> yeah. up here. 
we're gonna go in. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna show this. It becomes a protocol, and the biggest thing in the referee side that people don't um, need to really, really appreciate is referees, players, coaches. They just want a decision. So the more we're inconsistent, or the more we don't give them an answer right out, the more we're not clean with our communication, whether that's body language, whether that's words, choice. Um, that's what really frustrates uh, players mm-hmm. and the rest of the football world. So at that point, I do think he could have, he would have gone away with that little catch-all phrase in the VAR protocall. And, and, and I do point, think, uh, I'll just yeah. I'll butt in one. No, I, I do think, I, having watched, you know, seven weeks of the Rugby World Cup, and I know they are incomparable games, but the way mm-hmm. the officials talk to each other and everybody hears what they say, but the referee is in charge the whole time. He says, what I am seeing here is... X, Y, Z, and then yeah. he'll say, does anyone disagree with me? And 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 I think the fact that everyone can hear that communication mm. helps everybody out, players, managers, yeah, uh, yeah. and the crowd, which is really important. Angus, I'm really pleased that the lawyer agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's you the first one ever. Over there, right? You guys <laughs> call uh, lawyers barristers? But, but you're, you're spot on, Angus, because I, I, I think that, you know, I, I love football. I've played football. I've, I've refereed, and uh, uh, as I say, at the highest level, I'm, I'm a football fan. And I think the fans are just as important as the players and, and, and the managers. And I really do think that you know that the broadcasters can hear what what the VAR is saying to the referee, but they can't hear what the referee is saying to the to the VAR. I really do think that the the, the fans need to hear the conversations so they understand and they they, un, they understand what goes into to looking at a decision and making the, the correct decision. And they may not agree with it, but they will they will then accept it and they can see how difficult it is for the VAR and the on-field referee. And I know it's down to IFAB. I know IFAB come out and said that no, they don't think that will ever happen. But if you look at cricket, like you said, in rugby, it works ever so well. And I think it would work well in, 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 in football as well. I just want to briefly touch upon one other incident and then we'll start to wrap up because we, we are in added time and even in football. <laughs> I've got, have we got Fergie's watch on here. Huh? We're supposed Angus. to please sit in football to have more accurate time, but in podcasts, we definitely cannot go over the 60-minute mark. Otherwise, there'll be outrage from those listeners. <laughs> no but I just want to get your reaction, uh, Mark and Christina, on the... Penalty to Manchester City at the weekend in a crazy 4-4 draw. It was the opening penalty which Erling Haaland scored. And I think it's also caused much debate because you have two aspects to the phase of play. One is a grapple between Kukurea and Haaland, seemingly instigated by Haaland but dismissed, followed by Kukurea continuing his contact in the box. And then that was given. And because it was given by Gary Beswick, who had the best view of it, I think VAR felt that they didn't want to overturn it. But the reason I want to discuss it, Mark, is because I feel like in that kind of incident, if the assistant on field hadn't given it, then VAR wouldn't have had a problem and would have also said no penalty. But because it's been given on field, then VAR are happy to look at the second part of contact and for some reason ignore the fact, presumably because they think it's kind of 50-50, that actually Haaland has probably instigated that incident and yet ended up getting a penalty out of it. So what did you make of that incident? Was it the right decision? Well, listening to what Christina said earlier with the uh, the uh, Newcastle and Arsenal game, obviously VAR should have got involved. <laughs> but um, 
Listen, look, I, I think looking at from where Anthony Taylor's position was, I, I, I think he wouldn't have he wouldn't have seen that that initial grab by Haaland. I thought I thought Anthony Taylor refereed the game extremely well. You know, it, 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 no one talks about the referee. If it weren't for the way he refereed that game, it wouldn't have been as entertaining as it was. So, you know, you know, just get this applaud Anthony Taylor for the way he refereed that game. I, I think that if you look at that, yes, you could argue it's six and one, one half, half a dozen of the other, but it led to it led to a, a penalty. Um, I think Haaland committed the first the first foul, and I think had Anthony Taylor been offered or recommended a review to go and have another look. I think he would have been given a free kick to um, to Chelsea, and the penalty would have been overturned. In my my in my my opinion, because you can clearly see Haaland's got hold of him first, hasn't he? So he stopped he, he stopped him from getting in front of him. So he's got he he's got he, he's he, he's got hold of him. That gives him the opportunity to to get get in front of him. And had he not grabbed hold of him first, he wouldn't have had that opportunity of getting in front and and then obviously. Um, Cucurella making 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 a foul himself. So I think had Anthony been afforded another view by a recommendation of review, I think uh, a free kick would have been given to Chelsea. And I agree. I think that this is why facts matter in this scenario, right? And to your point, Anthony Taylor is seeing the second sequence of play there. And if the AR is not assisting with that first information, which is a hard thing to assist based upon the distance mm. and the location of where the play occurred. Um, this is where something I would want that recommendation because it's mm. easier to explain out. Not that this is our standard, but, you know, having to sit on essentially the MLS 360 show and other shows such as that, you are the first voice. So it's like, what would football think is just and fair in this scenario? Is it just and fair to give Holland the penalty kick? The answer is no, because he does truly impact. And to your point, he pulls him back. And this is different from, I'm going to give the comparison of the Manchester Derby, right? I think it was um, uh, Roger or whatever. It was the hook that he was yeah. going through. There was no fight. There was no pushback. Yeah. Literally it hooked arm under beneath his waist and dragged him back before the play occurred where he would have been if that then. So that's why when we talk about these plays in context, you can't just wrap them all in together. It really comes down to the specific facts. And in this case, I think the recommendation from a VAR should have been, I know you have penalty on this, but if you see the play prior to, he ends up getting fouled. Simple foul, once again, upper body, not playing the ball in any kind of manner. And I think that's where when we talk about upper body fouls, such as holding, um, those fall more or less into subjective because you can't play the ball in a fair manner. You can't play the ball necessarily in a, the player in a fair manner if you're doing a full pull and a drag and then that. So I think that's where football would be fine with this recommendation down. And yeah. just kind of the final thoughts um, on some of this is like, as Mark mentioned is, you know, we have club and then we have country. And then he talked about how FIFA at the world cups did a good job with VAR. That is, there's so much mix of information that gives back, right? So did FIFA do well? Yes, because they work with those individuals for four years. And, you know, some mm -hmm. of these World Cups, they have them for eight years, right? And so their standard comes down to, with all due respect, not clear and obvious, but do you think the referee needs to take another look at it, right? And that's, you know, not protocol. That's a little off script. And that's maybe okay in that environment. But then you take that mindset and even the instructors and you bring them back into professional and club football, and that is what I think can kind of affect essentially the fundamental elements of the training and education development that Mark was talking about a little bit earlier. I know that's a completely different segment and different discussion. So I'm just going to open up that can of worms for, uh, for Mark and I to get invited back. That's one of you. Well, <laughs> well I, I think, Christina, you, we, we don't need to invite you back. You, you can just come on anytime you want, because I, th I think what anyone who's listened all the way through this pod 
is that we're still to get VAR right. Uh, I mean, nothing has been resolved. We're all still learning. Officials are really still learning about the system. It's a shame that it's taken so long. But what I think would come out of this most importantly is is the fact that we need to we need to have that clear communication between fans, officials, coaches, managers, so that it's more open in your interpretation. I think if we listen to what you've got to say, we take it for we we take it as read and go, okay, that's how you're interpreting the rules. And then we take it and and we go, laws. right, that's it. And we and we sorry, the the laws of the game. Laws. Um, Mr. Halsey, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then, and then, and then we take it, and then we go, yep, okay, that that's fine, and we move on, and and then we're all in a position. I'm going to have to blow the final whistle here uh, for you three before you come back, uh, Mark. So you're going to have to save that thought for when probably in about three months' time we have to discuss this again <laughs> because there'll be another howler somewhere along the line that we're all in going. Three oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Listen, maybe three only, days, only, Christina. <laughs> only in the Premier League. Only in the Premier League, Angus. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right, Mark. Unfortunately, it seems that we have interpreted it uh, so badly and instrumented, uh, it sort of implemented it so badly. But hey, um, the biggest league in the world can't can't get it right. That's that's the failing grace of the Premier League. But anyway, at this point, I'm going to say. Mark Halsey, thank you very much indeed. Christina, Uncle, lovely to have you uh, back here once more. We will have your company again. Ben, enjoy the Miami sunshine um, and, and come back to us next week after you've you've dealt with Soccer X. Uh, it's been great to have your company again. Thanks all very much indeed. I'm going to leave you because, uh, as we've discussed, that bonkers Tottenham-Chelsea game was perhaps the most bizarre match of the season, thanks to VAR. And Spurs' new signing, Dejan Kulusevski, was part of the drama and scored the first goal, in fact. Uh, it had been a dream start to the season for the Swede before that mad Monday night. And then the Spursy 2-1 collapse against Wolves happened at the weekend. Well, we took Dejan back to his hometown club in Stockholm, to IF Bromapoikana, or BP for short, as part of the FC Futures campaign. It's an initiative that's a joint venture between UEFA and EA Sports, and it combines football and gaming to inspire the younger generation. We're here today in Sweden, and it's part of the kickoff and launch event for the new partnership between UEFA and EA. Dejan Kulisevsky. It's a pleasure to be here and to help everybody and special to be at this place. So inspiring to have Kulisevsky here in this very venue. He spent hours upon hours practicing, learning, enjoying football. 50 years I was here. Uh, it was a good club. It's the biggest club in Sweden for the for talents, for young talents. All my friends is, come from that club, so it's a great club and I have great memories and still have contact with the with coaches, with players, so it's a great club and that I hope will get even better in the future. We're seeing lots of young people have the chance to practice on the pitch, practice skills, and then also see those same skills within the uh, virtual game. I recently bought FC. In my team right now, I have Quaraskelia uh, from Napoli. He's really good. He has five star, five star, so I, I like him. I always played the game when I was younger with my friends in the evenings. It was so much fun, really. It was the, the best thing ever. Now I'm a little bit older. I got family. I got girlfriend that don't let me play all the time. 
but of course the best memories come from playing the games. I remember Eden Hazard, I remember he was on the cover and uh, for sure by far my favorite player. Football is about love and uh, he gave me such happiness watching him play, not just me, but I think he was an unbelievable player. And I remember going to school and like being happy because he had a game after the, after the school. So like he, he changed the days because the days went faster and then uh, when he played I just enjoyed. I'm so sad that I never played against him or, or with him. But uh, the thing people remember is uh, what a great player he was. So really just thank you to him and I wish him all the best after his career. Sport for young kids is a vital tool for life. It's a place where they can learn so many skills that help them in all parts of their life. And obviously health, mental health, physical health, the life skills they can learn and resilience, respect, teamwork, leadership. Playing with everyone was really fun and we had a great time together. And seeing Dayan, it's like motivational boost, like, you know, want to be like him. Just coming back home here, seeing the kids, I saw some great kids that love football, that great talents, that's good with the ball. Through our relationship with the EA game, it means we can talk directly to players, we can talk directly to teachers and coaches, and really football has so many great things going for it, as does sport. Great to catch up with Dejan Kuluzewski in our uh, exclusive little chats with him in association with EA Sports. That is the debrief for this week. Thanks for your company. Thanks to my guests as ever. And we'll be back next week with more on the debrief.